Oh, my God. 
Five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
so that's Hakol. So, and this song is also called Hakol. Hakol Yeducha. Duha, 
everybody. I call, come on now. I call you new into those guys, yeah. I call, Start with today, even when your hope starts to fade. Don't give up on the prayer that you prayed. Cause the sham is always there to find. It's all about your frame of mind. He's always there, he always cares. He's listening to your prayers. Yes, the sham is always there. You
in the a.m. Friday morning. Wow, Friday morning. Can you imagine? We're already at Friday. Seems like yesterday was the day after Isru Chag. <laughs> it was, by the way. <laughs> Friday morning, May 21st, the 10th of Sivan. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel, and you're listening to J.M. in the a.m. You heard Zela Zeh, or Kol Yisrael, done by Shlomi Kaufman, Eli Deitch, and Baruch HaGever. Merake, that was Simcha Liner. Ari Goldwag with Hashem is always there. Hakol Yoducha, Avram Rosenblum of the Diasperados has performed three weeks ago today at our Lagba Omer celebration. Torah, that's brand new, Itzik Weingarten, and of course, Regesh Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. Welcome to a Friday on this 21st of May and 10th of Sivan. The brand new year is 5781. I know it's not brand new anymore, but the year is 5781. Tufshin Pei yeah, only three and a half months left of this year. Wow. Tariff Shabbos Parsha's Nussa with candle lighting time in New York, 752. Make sure you know when things start where you are. 752 is the um, official candle lighting time in New York City. 58 degrees, 65% humidity, winds are south at four miles per hour. Today's forecast, sun and clouds and a high of 75. Tonight, mostly cloudy, a high or I should say a low of 65 degrees. Tomorrow's the story, both tomorrow and Sunday, mostly cloudy with a high of 90. Talk about a summer-like weekend in May. 
Tomorrow and Sunday, the high, 90 degrees. Boy, oh boy. That can be an interesting walk to shul tomorrow. 90 degrees, both Shabbos and Sunday. Wow. Right now, uh, 78 in Yerushalayim, 58 here in New York City. As we say good morning at JM and the AM. Feel free to comment on the app. Go to the NSN, Nahum Siegel Network app for Android and iPhone. And the comment away. And uh, it's a Friday, which means Harry Rothenberg about a half hour from now with words about Parsons Nusser or Uden later on. Malcolm Honline will be conducting the weekly update. That'll happen at the 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time this morning. He is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents and Major American Jewish Organizations. He'll join us coming up here at uh, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time. And uh, we'll see what else is in store between now and... um, Nine o'clock this morning here at JM in the AM. Coming up later on, um, the Arab Shabbos show encore with Mark Zamek, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. That's happening at ten AM, one PM for the Arab Shabbos music mix, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Tomorrow night it's Avrami and Saturday night Siegel. Sunday, it's Matis with JM Sunday, beginning at 7 a.m. Eastern Time. There's a lot going on, folks. A lot going on. More coming up here at JM the end. This is the Yeshiva Boys Choir.
de și vii
J.M. in the A.M. Yibane HaMikdash. Uh, that's Micha Gammerman, his Leil Shabbat medley here at J.M. in the A.M. Before that, you heard the uh, Ari Hill-Eli Marcus combination off of Project X. Kol Amispalel, that was the Yeshiva Boys Choir. Friday morning on this era of Shabbos Parshas Nasa with candle lighting at 752 on this era of Shabbos here in New York. 
ceasefire has been announced in uh, Israel. Uh, Malcolm Holine, executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, is scheduled to join us for the weekly update coming up. We'll see what he'll be able to uh, tell us about the uh, ceasefire that Joe Biden, the president of the United States, is very enthusiastic about. He says it's a genuine opportunity toward the larger goal of building a lasting peace in the Middle East. Wow. We have gone from thousands of rockets being uh, tossed at Israel and in the span of one agreement, one ceasefire, we're up to a significant step in the Middle East peace process. That's pretty amazing, I must say. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners, sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web, and AlchemSiegel.com, and the AlchemSiegel Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. By the way, our friends in Livingston, New Jersey, and the surrounding areas have announced a rally this coming Sunday. We'll give you the details coming up. Galit Sal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast next at JM&M. Mikhlolaisegimshan, <laughs> Bioda Bishamon Shahli Kmosershabashota, Kroot, Tsuyota Mechot, 
3,500 מבנים שניזוקו מנפילת רקטות וכמעט 2,000 כלי רכב שהושחתו. מזג האוויר מעונן חלקית עד בהיר, תחול ירידה קלה בטמפרטורות בעיקר בהרים ובפנים הארץ, והן תהיינה רגילות לעונה. לידיעת הרוחצים, עקב הזרמת ביוב מרצועת עזה, משרד הבריאות מזהיר את הציבור מרחצה בחוף זיקים. אלה החדשות בצוות צח הלל ועומר נחום.
Moshav Ben Lachadodi here at the JM in the AM. Uh, our friends and partners in Torah are encouraging uh, those of you who have the potential to be a mentor, men and women out there that have the potential to be a mentor for somebody who would like to explore more about their uh, tradition and heritage. Uh, please contact our friends at the Partners in Torah. You can go to the web, partnersintorah.org. Again, that's partnersintorah.org or 1-800-STUDY-42, 1-800-STUDY, <clears throat> excuse me, the number four and then the number two. And to make arrangements to be a partner in Torah. You will find it to be a very, very satisfying experience. And that, frankly, is an understatement. Uh, Partnersintorah.org, 1-800-STUDY-42. Uh, this portion of NSN programming brought to our friends at A&H. And I remind you that our friends at A&H, with their delicious hot dogs, sausage, deli, so many great items you can get, uh, their hot dogs are going to be available in Trader Joe's. Um, you'll find them in your Trader Joe's the latest Memorial Day weekend. The latest Memorial Day weekend. They're already distributing them to Trader Joe's all around the country. So they'll be in there, A&H hot dogs, um, by the, uh, well, let's see, Memorial Day is what, the 31st? So by the end of the month, you'll be enjoying uh, A&H hot dogs at Trader Joe's. So keep that in mind. And, of course, if you want something delicious to serve to your family, uh, do what we always do, load up on the A&H. You'll be glad you did, frankly. <laughs> that I can tell you. Um, Harry Rothenberg has words about the about this week's Parsha, Parsha's Nusso. Here he is at JM in the AM. Last week, the Torah listed the names of each of the tribal leaders. This week, we get to meet them in all of their glory. Each one is named again and we're told about the beautiful offering that each one brought in honor of the dedication of the Mizbeach, the altar. But one of those tribal leaders, we know, is a train wreck waiting to happen, unfortunately. We're going to meet him again a little later in the Torah. But when we next meet him, he's going to be introduced via his nickname, Zimri, leader of the tribe of Shimon. Zimri engages in an act of forbidden intimacy with Cosby, the Moabite princess, and Pinchas kills them both. The Torah doesn't tell us explicitly, but the sages of the Talmud explain, and make no mistake, Zimri and Shlumiel ben Suri Shaddai, the leader of the tribe of Shimon, mentioned last week and this week, are one and the same. Why doesn't the Torah use the same name or tell us openly that they're the same person? Maybe as a lesson, a cautionary tale, that with one lapse or error in judgment, one sin, you can wipe out your shame tove, your good name and reputation that you spent so much time crafting over the course of your lifetime. But of course, the opposite is true. You can change your name for the better. We see that earlier in the Torah with the story of Hagar, Abraham, Avraham's second wife. When we last see her mentioned by name, she's being banished from the house by Sarah, Sarah. But she comes back. Torah doesn't tell us that openly, but after Sarah dies, Yitzchak, Isaac, Abraham's son, goes and 
finds Hagar and brings her back so that she can remarry Avraham. This time she's got a new name, Keturah, a name that the sages explain is based on her good deeds. She remarries Avraham and they have six more sons together. And there are two other beautiful examples of this in the Torah. Moses, Moshe himself, is brought up as royalty. He's brought up in the palace by Pharaoh's daughter. He becomes the overseer of the palace before he has to flee as a fugitive after killing the Egyptian taskmaster. And yet later on in life, the Torah describes him as the Anna Mikal Adam, the most humble person among humanity. Started off as royalty and then became the most humble person ever. Contrast that with a young man named David, David, for reasons that I don't have time to go into in this short format. He was not even raised in the household with his brothers and his parents. He was out of the house, tending the sheep. But he was eventually anointed and became the next king of Israel. And we don't know him as David the shepherd. We know him as David Melech Yisrael. David, the king of the Jews. Moshe went from royalty to humility and David went from his humble beginnings to royalty. It's not where you begin, it's where you end up. Put in the hard work and you too can build up and change your name and reputation to something much better. You build a lasting legacy. Share us up, I've 
in the AM. Boy, we were playing the stuffing out of that album. 
Ari Hill and Ellie Marcus together. Oh my God, Davra had Makar Chaim. You heard Machar. That was Mordechai Shapiro, Cole Zimra, and Vayivare. I want to thank Harry Rothenberg. Beautiful words about Parshas Nasser. Rabbi Yudin coming up in the 8 o'clock hour on Parshas Nasser. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Candlelighting at 7.52 in New York. Make sure you know when things start where you are. We got a note last week when we were discussing the start of Yuntif. We had a uh, we had a comment on the app that gave us the candlelighting time in uh, in um, was it Belfast? I think it was Belfast. What was last Friday's date? Um, the fourteenth. Uh, I'd have to go back pretty far. Well, we've had a lot. Of, we've had a lot of comments on the app since the fourteenth. I must say. Um, let's see. Go back to Aravyanta for a moment. Uh, yeah, we're listening in Belfast, candlelight at nine oh three. We must have been talking about what time things start in different places. Anyway, thank you to those listening in the Belfast in the Belfast area of the United Kingdom, and thanks to all of you for listening around the world. Much appreciated. Malcolm Holmline coming up. We'll do the weekly update. He's executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He'll join us coming up here at JM in the AM. Uh, discuss the uh, news of the week, and there is a lot of news, that's for sure. Rabbi Yudin will join us, Parshas Nusso. All day long, you have an amazing and incredible, and I don't think there's another way to describe it, an amazing and incredible way to to, to go through your Erev Shabbos. And now, when uh, Erev Shabbos is as long as it is, it's a golden opportunity to put on NSN and not touch that dial. Uh, we're here till 9 at 10 o'clock. It's the Erev Shabbos show brought to you by Kedem. It's uh, Mark Zamek. Presenting three amazing hours. Then the era of Shabbos music mix presented by the amazing people at Kedem. Final hour will be presented by the amazing people at Kedem later on today. You literally have no reason to um, touch that dial as the expression goes between now and candle lighting. So I hope that's exactly what you'll do. Miami Boys Choir. Oh, no, excuse me. It's not the Miami Boys. Who do we have next? Uh, Schleimi Teisig is next at JM in the AM. Thank you. 
Slimy Tysig here at JM in the AM. I want to take this opportunity to remind everybody in the Livingston, New Jersey area. This coming Sunday, starting at 11.15, a march to show support for Israel, to declare I stand with Israel, is happening starting at 11.15 Sunday morning at Suburban Torah in Livingston, New Jersey. They're going to gather at 1115 in the Suburban Torah parking lot. They have a police escort to march to South Livingston Avenue across from Town Hall. There'll be about uh, 15 minutes of speeches at that time. And this is being done in association with Avaz Hachman, Jacob and David, Agudath Israel, B'nai Shalom, Chabad at Short Hills, Chabad of West Orange, Congregation Israel, Eitzchayim, um, Jewish Educational Center, J-K-H-A-R-K-Y-H-S, Mayan, NCSY, Metro West, and, and I assume that's West Orange, or Torah, Suburban Torah, Temple B'nai Abraham, and Temple B'nai Jeshurun. So that is a great effort by the Livingston area and the uh, Essex County area to arrange and uh, pull off a rally in support of Israel. 11-15 at Suburban Torah this coming Sunday, Livingston, New Jersey. If you're in the area, make sure to be there. More coming up, including the weekly update at JM and the AM. Kratchabat, Marketa, 
Cats, Shabbat Hamalka. Shlemy Tysig before that with Kaliata. Friday morning, JM in the AM. Erev Shabbos Parshas Nussa with candlelighting in New York at 7.52. I want to thank our friends at JewishWorldReview.com. JewishWorldReview.com, a great resource, especially before Shabbos, to print out hundreds of articles regarding Israel and the Jewish world and get a perspective and opinion from a variety of Usually sensible commentators, frankly. Not every site has usually sensible commentators. Their site has usually <laughs> sensible commentators. Uh, go to Jewish World Review and print them out. Um, subscribe and enjoy. Uh, this portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H. A reminder that A&H hot dogs will be available in Trader Joe's nationwide starting Memorial Day. Look for them. They may actually be in your store already. You never know. But certainly by Memorial Day, they'll be nationwide in all the Trader Joe's. Check it out. And a big uh, mazel tov, I guess we would say, to our friends from A&H, Abels and Hyman, who again are enjoying a summer season in Trader Joe's. Yeah. Nationwide. Amazing. Amazing. You can get kosher food nationwide. Can't always feel comfortable being a Jew nationwide, but you can get kosher food nationwide. Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays for the weekly update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It feels like we never left after <laughs> this uh, very hectic week. One long conversation, it seems, this exactly. always is. Uh, is the ceasefire holding? So far, it's holding, and... Um, We've seen now all the celebrations in Gaza at the Naharabayit, not by Jews, and many other places, and certainly a sense of relief as all the restrictions have been lifted in Israel. Uh, The schools in the south are still not open, I think, but the other schools are. Uh, But the, you know, everybody claims victory and needs to do so for their own political purposes, their own psychological purposes of the people, that all of this wasn't in way. But you see how broad-scale the devastation that Israel was able to, to achieve of military targets, primarily, and to uh, certainly set back uh, Hamas. And the question is, will the people take advantage of it? Will Hamas emerge politically stronger as having you know, been able to take on Israel? Will it translate into political, in the political realm, how will the uh, Abbas now look, especially after postponing the election? Uh, will pressures build now to have elections? And Hamas would probably emerge even stronger. So there'll be greater reluctance uh, to have an election. And what will happen with Netanyahu? How will this affect his political fortunes? Is there, so the, a, yeah, I'm sorry. Is there a way to quantify, I mean, I'm not looking for stats, but 
we, we are being told by the administration in Israel that this was a much more devastating blow to Hamas than, for instance, any of the previous operations were. I think specifically they, they were probably referring to 2014. Is there a way to quantify or describe the type of, of damage that was done to the uh, Hamas operation? I know the tunnels was significant in terms of taking out a lot of those. Uh, but, but, you know, there was no real ground attack, despite what you might hear or read. There was no real ground invasion, which we have seen in the past. And often we think, or the armchair military people think, that that's the only way to really accomplish a lot. How would you evaluate what they did this time? Well, they clearly had uh, excellent intelligence. They took out individual homes of the leaders. They took out um, operational headquarters, you know, sometimes taking out a room or an apartment in a building. They uh, and despite the reports and the try to to exaggerate the uh, what um, how Israel um, killed civilians. I mean, this is it's untrue. Uh, 700 rockets, at least, maybe more of the more than 4,000 that were fired, landed in Gaza itself, and they had to admit killed that family of eight that everybody was blaming Israel. Turned out that they were killed by errant Gazan fire. That uh, they still retained the capacity to do it, and that's why they saved rockets always for the last hours before a ceasefire to be able to show that they, you know, they walk out standing. But the fact is that the infrastructure, uh, as you cite, the, the tremendous underground, you know, um, capacity in tunnels. There are two types of tunnels that were hit, the tunnels that crossed to Israel. They blew up one, which a number of terrorists were, were located. And then, the, the more importantly, the, the tunnel network under Gaza, miles and miles of it were destroyed. And whether terrorists inside were were killed or not, we don't know. And I'm I'm sure the Gaza Hamas is not going to let us know because they don't want to tell how many people they really lost for their uh, for their internal purposes. Uh, the fact that they hit these navy inst- installations, including ones where they were launching uh, remote controlled uh, underwater drones that were aiming to attack the um, gas rigs off of the coast of Israel and other locations. The uh, fact they didn't have any cross-border raids, as you had sometimes in the past. And remember, it it lasted 50 days before, and this is much shorter, but far more intense. And I know a lot of people uh, have a sigh of relief that they didn't have to or didn't cross into uh, Gaza, but... Many of the experts say that you really can't, you know, um, assure that they can't just fire again if you're not in control of the territory and being able to go door to door, house to house, where they know these things are located. Uh, so everything will be subject to a lot of speculation, and people shouldn't get caught up in every detail debating for and against. Overall, um, the, the, the they limited the amount of deaths, and the, despite 4,000 rockets, the fact that Iron Dome did such an amazing job hitting 90%. There will be a lot of questions that will be asked in a lot of um, armchair generals, but also within the government of Israel, there will be a lot of questions that will have to be answered. Yeah, that's for sure. Why does it seem the arsenal that the enemy had this time was much larger than last time? 
Uh, the number of rockets, I mean, I don't have the stats in front of me, but the impression is that it was much more of a barrage in a shorter period of time than, than in 2014. Uh, were, were they, in fact, better equipped? Were they, in fact, I don't know, building up for seven years for this moment? They clearly were, and uh, they received a lot of equipment from Iran. These were Iranian missiles, basically, uh, some of them very crude. All of the reports, including my own, about the importation of precision guidance systems from Iran, which they, they got, uh, we know in Lebanon they, they've fixed many in, in, in Gaza, uh, and they were given the ability to manufacture their own, did not seem to make a difference because the, the rocket fire seems to be uh, largely indiscriminate, just targeting an area and firing uh, that didn't have the ability to hit very specific targets, as was expected. Uh, they did show a bigger range. The fact that they hit Yerushalayim is, to me, still astonishing and uh, you know something they boast about. But it's a high-risk maneuver, and, the, 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 you know, there will be big demonstrations, I'm sure, today, because it's Friday at Al-Aqsa, and, you know, declaring their victory. So there's a lot of things that they have to come to terms with. The, so the ability, I think, was greater in many respects, and the um, infrastructure was certainly much better, and that they had prepared uh, this, these abilities to withstand what they know would be Israel's um, response to, to their aggression. What I think is also uh, an issue that we'll be wrestling with for a long time is the internal situation in Israel, especially relationship with Israeli Arabs who joined in some of the neo-pogroms, uh, especially in Lud and Haifa, other areas. Uh, I've spoken to many people who, who said that they, you know, every Friday would go shopping in Arab markets and other Arab areas and say they can't do it now. And uh, and then lastly, about the ramifications here with some of the incidents that, that we saw yesterday and in the days before, the uh, anti-Semitic attacks, the uh, wandering gangs that would take place in, in incidents in Miami, L.A., New York, and all over the country. Uh, these are all things that we have to assess, and, and most of all, how the Internet was used to spread blatantly anti-Semitic, anti-Israel messages uh, hate messages that were tolerated than when other people are knocked off these uh, platforms and how we can be more effective in getting the message out, getting the truth out. We always assume people will see that it's obvious that the story about Sheikh Jarrah, the story about what was going on in Al-Aqsa that this was politically motivated, that this had a lot of other agendas for the Palestinians, especially after Abbas you know, canceled the election, that you know, people, we see see that people are not being affected and more and more carry the message that you have this small group in Congress who are willing to, to take hostile positions in Israel, introducing resolutions to, to, to uh, condition aid or withhold aid. And these are all uh, issues that we, just as Israel, have to wrestle with. Yeah, and we... And we've got to get back to that issue uh, in a minute in terms of what's going on in Washington because it's outrageous what's happening in Washington. But what might be more outrageous, though, is that, as you, as you indicated, uh, there, there's now you know, copycat uh, encounters that are going on. Uh, the world saw what was happening in Lod and Haifa and uh, how, uh, quote-unquote, Arab-Jewish neighborhoods were um, you know, being uh, set on fire by the enemy. 
uh, or those who until that point you know were not identified as enemy and now are uh, and we, we see the damage that was done and the lives that were lost uh, and then of course it's replicated here um, number one because uh, I guess they feel that uh, you know they, they, they had a good role model a good example based on what they saw in the Middle East of so places like Miami and New York and uh, California, as you mentioned, others, you know, their random attacks on Jews of all varieties, by the way, between the smoke bombs and the, and the uh, projectile throwing and the, uh, um, you know, and all the different ways that, um, uh, that people um, uh, uh, demonstrate their uh, anger uh, at Jews because we, of course, have the nerve to be Jews and lovers of Israel. Uh, but anyway, but, but what might be most outrageous, frankly, is that all this is going on here in the United States and all these videos are going around and there's nobody, there's nobody in Jewish leadership saying a word. Nobody's saying anything. There is not one major Jewish organization. I don't think there's a major synagogue in this country who, whose rabbinic leadership has, has gotten up and expressed how outrageous this is. We're talking about the center of Manhattan. We're talking about New York City. We're talking about an identifi- identifiably pretty Jewish city with a really identifiably you know, Jewish block in the Diamond District. And this goes on, and forget about the fact that the cops aren't arresting people that need to be arrested, but nobody's saying a word. It's outrageous. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It is outrageous to me that there is no one who is getting up and proclaiming that there has to be some type of accountability from the police department or government officials for the fact that people are randomly being attacked in their streets. So, first of all, in terms of the events of yesterday, we had till the middle of the night, I participated in consultations and things, and there will be plenty of statements, calls on the cops to, to explain their behavior or, or lack of uh, activity, not just yesterday, but uh, in, in other parts of the country, too. We saw the same pattern. So, first of all, to understand, I think there are a number of factors this is my own speculation about the impact of last summer's riots and demonstrations that people felt they can get away with it, that there's a new climate. The fact that, you know, you have this no bail or the quote bail reform that people have no fear of getting arrested, that they will ride around in the cars with their license plates visible and uh, police keep saying to people go home or just go back and and did not arrest. In one case, we saw they arrested one of the, the Jewish uh, people who was assaulted, uh, and and there been there were phys- there was physical violence against people that uh, were hospitalized as a result of yesterday's events. So you will see plenty of statements, and uh, you remember it happened late yesterday, and people didn't have a chance even to get the facts on what really occurred, and, and often there are so many different accounts, you know, that there was a bomb thrown, that it was a firecracker thrown, that it was a uh, smoke bomb thrown, uh, that, um, and thank God nobody seems to be seriously uh, hurt, but they, we have to be much more vocal. There has to be, and there are plans uh, for some sort of manifestation uh, in response to this. We have to give the police chance to to clarify what the, what the orders were, and but if we don't aren't consistent, if our elected officials, and city council and state city government don't start don't demand it, uh, I don't count on much from city hall, but I I do I think the police are, um, you know, should not be judged before we have a chance to really get to the facts, but the the outrageous behavior, the fact that they they drove around and literally uh, vigilante style. Uh, is is very concerning and and upsetting, and the uh, fact that it it spread 
in so many different places uh, tells you it's, it's part of the reflection of the Internet. It's part of what the squad and others have, have poisoned the, the, um, the, the atmosphere and that everything goes. And, and this is really uh, of concern. There was a time... Everybody individually and collectively. This is not... This is, it's complex. There are a lot of factors that go into this, but there has to be a sense of outrage, and there has to be a message, and there has to be, on the part of every community, talking to their elected officials, demanding answers and responses, and, and as well from the communal organization. There was a time when the mayor of the city of New York and the governor of the state of New York and the Senate majority leader who's from New York would have gotten up and and said last night, maybe even in the middle of the night, how outrageous this is, and how they're going to make an effort and step up the efforts to protect all citizens, whether it's Jews or Asians or whoever's being targeted. And none of that happened. And in California, the same thing. We're talking about, you know, uh, we're talking about an area that is so identifiably Jewish and local officials all the way up to the mayor and governor usually or in the past would be out there on the streets making statements and rallying people to, you know, to, to make the neighborhood as safe as possible. Now, you're right. You're right that this whole summer that we went through was the precursor to all of this because they they basically showed everybody you can run rampant in the streets and do whatever you want and loot everywhere you want and nothing's going to happen to you that whole attitude is, is prevailing now and unfortunately a lot of jews are you know on the receiving end of all of this but there has to be i mean the fact that you know i gotta tell even, even in terms of the support for israel rallies the fact that every one of these is a grassroots rally, that, that synagogues and organizations, we just read off a whole bunch before, synagogues and organizations at a moment's notice decide on Thursday night or Friday morning they have to take to the streets on Sunday just to express themselves regarding support for Israel and support for you know people around the world who are being attacked because of Israel tells us something about the organized Jewish community. There is nobody. There's nobody, forget the government officials, there's nobody in a leadership role in the American Jewish establishment that is getting up and saying anything. And I'm talking about groups that traditionally are the ones that did take to the streets and the ones that did not accept any of this outrageous behavior against Jews. So you raise several issues. One is about statements. It's not correct. There were hundreds of statements and declarations by organizations on local and national level. The problem is the media will not cover pro-Israel statements. You can't get it on anywhere, even on the Internet, except for people posting things on their own sites. It gets no pickup. And I'm telling you, there were hundreds, maybe thousands of statements issued by Jewish organizations, by leaders, by individuals, by, you know, uh, collective statements. Um, and unfortunately, that there is a silence from our elected officials, uh, with the exception, and I, sh- I have to name him, Richie Torres, who's been a hero and, and amazing. And uh, Josh Gottheimer was uh, very strong, but so many others. When Menendez, the chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee, comes out with a critical statement, somebody who has been so tied to community and in such an influential position, and others who represent heavily Jewish districts, don't make statements or flirt with signing on to some of the anti-Israel uh, measures. You don't know how much effort goes in to make sure that it doesn't happen and and that it uh, and to counter it. And without having public confrontation, because that forces people into public postures that you can't back off of. You try to prevent, and, and to a great degree that was successful. But the the in terms of statements as to uh, public demonstrations, I completely concur. And um, 
I mean, there were reasons why, you know, from COVID to um, having online Zoom rallies all over the country, but they don't mean anything. There's no, there's no impact as there is when you have people who are willing to take to the streets, who are willing to manifest their, their um, outrage. I think it's not because there's a lack of concern in the community, although amongst a lot of the younger people, we see it, the fact that you have Jews in, in Congress and elsewhere signing on to some of these really hostile statements and groups like J Street and others leading efforts to, um, to count, to pr- promote an anti-Israel agenda, whereas uh, the efforts to promote the Jewish pro-Israel agenda doesn't get any notice because it's, you know, it's man bites, it's dog bites man versus man bites dog. And you have to also look at this, the, the, the nature of the media coverage, uh, both in real media, but also on the Internet. But we saw people talking about Israeli aggression, the, the, the whole distortion, misrepresentation, with the exception of a number of the stations that became very blatantly in New York, uh, I know ABC and OR and all those were, were, much, were balanced and favorable in their coverage. But you see in national public radio and all these, and I'm naming them because people have to make their voices heard. These are supported by the public to to counter it and to ask their congressmen, where were you? What have you done? What did you speak out? And if you belong to a Jewish organization, ask them, let them tell you what they did to stand up. Much, much more was done, believe me, than is known or could be, would, it would be made public by the media and where we did uh, expose weakness again was on the internet that we don't have the ability to counter what is often state-sponsored uh, anti-Semitism and anti-Israel activities on the, in the media in the uh, internet and on the various platforms and the discriminatory policies but that even, the companies but, followed. But even before we get to the internet, I mean, those members of the House and U.S. senators that represent Jewish areas and have in the past been out there, at least when when Israel's under attack. They're not always out there in regular situations, but at least when Israel's under attack and when Jews are under attack on the streets of New York, that they are completely silent is unbelievable. And by the way, I agree. For, and, and, and I know you're saying we should contact them and express our outrage at that, and I agree with that, obviously. But what does it say about the direction of Jews in the United States of America? What does it say about our future? You know, if we don't stand up, if we don't do something to show to show those who are Jew haters, and remember, it's all you know cloaked in anti-Zionism and anti-Israel, right? Essentially, they're Jew haters. If we don't do something, then all these predictions about what's going to happen, in, you know, to this country, to Jews in this country, it's going to happen a lot sooner than we thought. Anyway, uh, no, no, it's not. Anyway, it's very important, and anybody who's intelligent and isn't thinking of uh, the ramifications of this. I talked about the ramifications in Israel. I think the messages here are are very clear. And again, we have to note that this is, these are small groups uh, of vigilantes that, that the wider view of uh, the wider participation community didn't take place. They didn't have thousands of people, you know, going to the streets like you had with BLM. Uh, and uh, other times during the summer, so there's a capacity to mobilize. And when you have public officials uh, engaging in the kind of rhetoric that we heard from the squad and others, um, and you know, while they only got 38 members or to sign on to certain things and, and, and very limited numbers joining the hostile thing, it's an erosionary process. It keeps saying that now this is acceptable and that's acceptable. Challenge Israel's 
the right to defend itself, to, to, to deny, to, to want to quantify, uh, qualify and condition the aid to Israel. These are very serious ramifications, and, and frankly, after not sleeping for, for the last 10 days, in large part, not just because of concern about what's happening to the security of Jews in Israel and uh, what they face, but Israel has an army, and Israel stands up to it. Uh, my question is what capacity we have to develop here in order to now there are meetings of the security officials of the communities and they've you know there were a lot of steps taken communities were more aware i think shomrim and all these groups do do good work and and deserve credit we have to expand our capacity and our willingness to stand up the fact what happened on 47th street was replicated in other places and you know there has to be a sense of outrage the Congress this week approved two hundred and I don't know forty million dollars because uh, to deal with the Asian uh, the tax on Asian Americans, and but th- there should be some similar measure, although there is money going to synagogues and in very large amounts to, for their protection, and I hope they're spending it on it. Um, but there isn't this sense of, of a need for this kind of mobilization that we saw to counter the hatred, the outrageous hatred acts against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. So I think that, again, it's too early now to, to, to draw conclusions. We have to assess all of this. We have to learn the lessons and implement them. Implement them. And, and that means on the, the local community neighborhood level of being able to send alerts, of being able to... Uh, mobilize and to make sure meeting with police officials and saying what 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 came down what happened how could this go on how could your police officers not arrest people you could you saw them you saw the the attacks and and and, and there doesn't have seem to be unless they're planning long term you know actions longer term when things are cooler and they can just arrest individuals without starting confrontations in the streets so there may be answers but I don't know them. Um, what did you think of President Biden's statements when he visited Congresswoman Tlaib in Michigan? Look, I think overall, I have to say that the, uh, that President Biden held the line against a lot of forces in his own party, and and you know voices raised against him about uh, and cutting aid, and and he spoke to Netanyahu half a dozen times or more. Uh, and did not take any actions or call for Israel to stop earlier. He said, you know, to develop it and gave them the time, I think, that Netanyahu needed or felt they needed to um, to do whatever um, uh, efforts to, to diminish and to degrade Hamas's capacity. Those were not eliminating Hamas's capacity unless we eliminate Hamas. And uh, regrettably, they didn't get Mohammed Deif and... Uh, I guess we'll know more, but they got rid of a lot of the commanders and many others. So, and and you, the president said yesterday that they would assure the resupply of Iron Dome missiles for Israel for its future protection. So, I I think that we have to look at this in balance way. What he said to Tlaib, I think, was just uh, a response to the pressure of the moment, and he he does respond to the pressures. It's within his own party. You have it's not just him, Bernie Sanders, many others. Uh, as I said, that the you see the influence of the extremists in the party, and we have to make sure to try to uh, work with the party to to limit them and to elect people who don't represent those kind of views. Um, 
I, I think it's somewhat silly when people forget the the rockets that did fall during the Trump administration from Gaza to Israel. It's not like there weren't uh, attacks at that time. Maybe not a full full out war or you know operation that we've seen this time. But I'm asking it in the context of there are people who are who are saying that um, because of the money that President Biden, unlike President Trump, committed to the PA or actually delivered to the PA already. I have no idea. I don't know where if this money is actually, you know, there yet, close to a billion dollars. Uh, that that was the that that was the money that was able to fund this operation. Is that a, a ridiculous speculation? It's just not true. They didn't transfer the money. And um there was money that was held up by the Trump administration. That goes for specific projects and money is always fungible. Uh, I think, you know, we should be using our, our leverage. But, you know, the money that came into Gaza, for instance, came from Qatar, came from Iran. But the Israeli intelligence and others authorized the transfer of those funds in order to keep quiet, to, to pay the salaries, to keep the, the area from exploding. And there are a lot of people now who are questioning the, the wisdom of that policy. And we'll have to see in the future how that uh, plays out what uh, who's allowed to come in there and put in money? Turkey is going to rush in also, along with Iran, to to do re- rebuilding. But as long as Iran doesn't get the sanctions removed, they don't have that capacity that they once had to provide huge amounts of money. Um, Iran, Turkey has been stepping into that void. I've been reporting it all along and talking about the inflow of money to to Gaza. But look, at the, the people themselves, they have nothing. They, they live off of foreign uh, uh, handouts. The Gulf countries have stopped funding uh, Hamas because of, of their own purposes, with the exception of, uh, of Qatar, uh, maybe others uh, as well. Uh, but, you know, the, if, if Hamas is able to declare a victory, this undermines the government of Egypt, the governments of the UAE, of Saudi Arabia, everybody, Houthis, the Yemen, uh, Libya, every country that faces uh, Islamist uh, terrorist insurgents, and uh, whether it's ISIS or or Hamas or Hezbollah, they will all be in increased danger because of it. Mm. So if until the international community really stands up and the Europeans, you know, uh, kick themselves in the butt and, and, and start realizing that they may have given away Europe, now they want to give away the rest of the world. They want to endanger uh, everyone else. And there were countries that that did things. You know, the Secretary General of the Organization of American States, uh, the Secretariat, undertook, and they declared this week Hezbollah, uh, Hamas, a terrorist organization. Hmm. A courageous move. And now several countries, Argentina, Bolivia, um, Venezuela, of course, uh, um, and Antigua yesterday, uh, disassociated from that declaration. But Austria did the same, and you know that the Austrians flew the flag of Israel on the government building. Um, the Czech Republic, a number of countries really took brave stands. Um, the Bulgarians and Romanians in the EU, uh, and, uh, Croatia, I think, others that did take really strong stands, pro-Israel stands. And if you look, the Abraham Accord countries did the pro forma things, but they, they didn't sever it. They didn't. Nobody withdrew their ambassadors. Um, they, uh, you know, they understand that this is a battle being fought for them. And I can tell you that Arab leaders always just tell me, tell Israel, decimate them, decimate them. They can't emerge from this standing. We're always disappointed that Israel wouldn't, uh, you know, just carpet bomb and, and take the more dramatic actions. 
because it's them, it's everybody, the region, and and Turkey and Iran can't be able to now boast that it has a victory, and and Turkey and these are the forces that are trying not only for their own hegemonic goals, but to undermine and destroy a Jewish state and and any government that doesn't agree with their Islamist radical ideologies from the Shiite or the Sunni side. Uh, so, there, you know, these things. This uh, has much broader ramifications than the fight over uh, over Gaza and the firing of rockets and and what other country would have tolerated? And we asked the governments. Nobody has an answer. What would you do yep. if thousands, four thousand rockets? Think of that. Were fired at a country, a democracy that that didn't instigate this, didn't want this. It's outrageous. And then they create these false narratives and how quickly. People buy into it, yeah. including many in the Jewish community. Yeah, because they want to. They, they they would rather do everything in their power to condemn Israel and make sure that, uh, that Israel is being condemned by others. On that subject, by the way, Black Lives Matter threw its full support behind the Palestinians, standing in solidarity with them, according to their official Twitter declaration. Uh, I think that a lot of people in the Jewish community, especially those who made sure to take to the streets, uh, during the summer of uh, of 2020, uh, I think I think people in the Jewish community really have to evaluate uh, whether they are going to align with the BLM BDSers. And by the way, it's one and the same because BDS the BDS movement essentially uh, praised BLM for the statement they came out with. Uh, so they're both pro-Palestinian, they're both anti-Israel, and they're both anti-Semitic, frankly. But I think people in our community need to make an evaluation about whether they're going to be standing with the official. Uh, BLM organization, or if they're going to uh, uh, use their power and use their uh, and use their energy uh, to support Israel and the Zionist movement. And this is not even pro-Palestinian. This is pro-terrorism. Yep. That that we should make distinction. You know, people can have sympathy with anybody in the world, any group in the world. I understand it. Um, but they got it. First of all, they have to have the facts. They have to know who's yeah. responsible in, for the in, suffering of them. Including, but this is including not, they're the taking ki- a stand with a terrorist entity, right. with people who indiscriminately kill civilians. You can even sympathize for the kids in Gaza, but just understand who's putting them in danger and who's that's right. And exactly, who's, exactly. I mean, who who on earth wants to see children die, especially in these circumstances? But I mean, you have to understand what the context is here. Can't and just, then the pride of their parents that they were martyred for this tells you, you know, that the and and putting their own kids in harm's way. Uh, although many of them don't have any say in this, and they're right. This is, you know, that they, they don't want to see the missile launchers next to their schools and in the hospitals, all these places. So it's a double war crime. Yeah. And yet, you see, during this week, the Organization Against Racial Discrimination in 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 the UN is is taking on Israel on apartheid charges. You see the term being used in in media broadcasts and stuff, where where just these outrageous charges, and then they say, well, we have two people. We have a Palestinian and an Israeli, and the Israeli is is pro is a is a spokesperson for the Palestinian cause, not for offering the real facts about what Israel did. And and that's, again, this distortion and misrepresentation. And the media have to hear from people about it. Take the moment. And most of all now, everybody should write their elected officials, especially their congresspeople, but also city council and others. They ask, where were you? Why didn't you speak up? We need to hear you. You have to stand up for aid to Israel. You've got to stop these uh, resolutions of disapproval or conditioning the aid that now we're going to check and we want to know where are you and where do you stand and what statements have you issued. Believe me, they're not hearing from him. Some of them complain to us that all they hear is from the other side. Congresswoman, so take the moment to do it. You can do it even in automated ways. Congresswoman Malia Takis was on the air yesterday and basically said to us, 
You, you realize I'm the only one in New York saying anything that's pro-Israel? Like, nobody... No, that's not true. Okay, I get it. Richie Torres I, I get and it. others. I yeah. get it, and you're 100% right. She's but, the only Republican congresswoman from New York who's doing it. All right, but but you get her... I mean, I, I get it was a little bit, you know, <laughs> flamboyant with her words, because obviously she was trying to make a point. But, I mean, th- this is the situation we're in. And, as you've always pointed out, when it comes to the House and the Senate, we've never been in this situation before. Malcolm Holmline will tell any modern Jewish history person who's interested in what's happened over the last 50 years, right? Would you say since the 60s, 70s, that there has never been unwavering support or wavering support uh, for Israel in the House and Senate? You've always been able to count on both of those chambers. And I'm just worried that that's, that's on shaky ground right now. Well, it's diminishing, but it's not. I mean, the overwhelming majority of, of both houses they approved everything, including the uh, the seven hundred and sixty million dollars package, and the administration didn't waver on it and didn't back off. It's it's going through. It will happen. You didn't have this kind of organized opposition. You had individuals always. You had you know Fulbright in the fifties, sixties, I guess, uh, who was very hostile and a powerful senator, and there were uh, groups of people. Always in the Senate and the House. The difference is, first of all, you have a whole different media set up today. That you have this this woke culture, the cancel culture, the the um, anti-Israel tied into anti-American and anti the values that we, we have. Um, all of these things contribute to the overall circumstance that we we find ourselves in. But I do not. We 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 always had. Uh, problems and discriminatory, let's say, practices at universities, and it got much better. I'm getting calls from people, parents, telling they're scared to have their kids go back to their campuses. Yep, that in right. New York City, that that the petitions against Israel, that demanding the universities speak out against um, against Israel, it has nothing to do with the university or their responsibility. Most university administrations reject it, but this goes way beyond BDS. BDS was a vehicle for them to be able to express yeah. hostility and hatred, and I'm worried what happens and worried when about people co- are back in person. Worried, Remember, still, it's, worried about not co- there. Worried about college campuses? I'm worried about people going to you know to, to Jewish blocks today to shop for Shabbos because who knows these random acts against Jews because they're wearing a yarmulke or look Jewish or might be a supporter of Israel or have an Israeli flag on their car. You know that I'm, I'm more worried about that right now. I hear it with the college campuses. But right now we're facing a situation in major cities around the world, like so many European cities had seen already, where if you're identifiably Jewish, even standing and shopping in a dominantly Jewish neighborhood, you could be a target. Got to be really careful right now. Uh, First of all, they should be very careful and people not to be scared and don't give in to this, but be alert and be careful and we support all the local efforts that uh, work to protect the communities and expand them. But it's not like separate things. These are all part of the same picture. And when we allow the atmosphere on the campuses to get, and and it it expands way beyond the campuses, each one is is part of the picture of this puzzle that we put together. And each component, and they are, are interrelated because a lot of this is stimulated. There must be, there's some incitement, there's some... A mosque somewhere where where these people are coming from that they all of a sudden decide to drive through the city and believe they can get away with it. Yep. That's to me the astounding thing is that there's no intimidation. And when the police they see the police, they don't drive away. They don't. They beat up people in front of them, and and there there isn't that kind of uh, 
and there's no fear of, of prosecution, and they know that even if they get arrested, they'll be out in 10 minutes. Yeah. So we, we have, it's societal, it's, it's deeper, and Jews are always the bellwether. You remember whether it goes back to Pastor Neimuller's comments or, mm-hmm. uh, or everything. We know since then that the Jews are always the canary in the mine, and, it, and we should not tolerate that. We have to demand that there be that kind of, uh, of response and that the policies that are imposed on police departments or, or uh, <clears throat> you know, the, the climate that they feel that they're operating, we have to show them that we're going to make the same demands and we will take to the streets and we will do what what is necessary to to express ourselves. In And I understand all the limitations of people because of COVID, because of other things, and, and that if you do a demonstration and we bring out 10,000, they bring out 100, we'll get, they'll get 50% of the coverage and say two, both sides were, you know, outraged right. about it. <laughs> exactly right. Uh, we need we need strong effort, strong leadership. I thank you so much. Uh, we'll speak. Uh, have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak again next week. Have a good Shabbos. Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Fridays, seven forty a.m. Weekly update here at JM and the AM. If you have any information, anybody out there, any information we get about rallies and demonstrations, we are passing on to our listeners. Um, all right. If you have information, let us know. We mentioned earlier that the Livingston, uh, Essex County community in New Jersey has, I'm going to say spontaneously, I don't know how spontaneous it was, maybe they did take a day or two to work out the details, but this is what we need. We need these type of spontaneous events. 1115 Suburban Tower in Livingston, if you're anywhere near Essex County, New Jersey on Sunday, make sure to be there, show your support for Israel. Um... And all the other rallies that we've been mentioning, uh, make sure to uh, make sure to attend. Be as safe as possible. Take whatever you need with you in order to assure your safety. See if people understand that hint. Um, and uh, within legal parameters, obviously. And uh, let us continue to defend and proudly, um, proudly um, exhibit our Jewish faith, and our love of Israel. Candle lighting at 7.52 on this Erev Shabbos, Parshas Nusso. This time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader emeritus, Congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Uden. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Nusso. Pashas Naso, according to the Chinuch, contains 18 mitzvos, 7 positive mitzvos, and 11 restrictions. Interestingly, most of those restrictions come from the Nazir. Um, one more very interesting point. Pashas Naso has the distinction of being the longest parsha in the Torah with 176 psukim. The longest chapter in Tanakh comes from Tehillim, 119. And how many psukim does it have? Correct, 176 psukim. And the longest volume of Talmud is that of Bava Basra. And how many dapim does it have? That's correct, 176. Okay, now what is of interest is 
that Parshas Noso, as we pointed out, is the longest parsha, and it gets its length from the fact that the second half of the parsha provides in detail the exact offering that each of the Nisim, each of the tribes, uh, the, the leaders of the tribe, the prince of each tribe, brought at the occasion of the dedication of the Mishkan, the sanctuary in the desert. The Torah could very well have written the offering of Nachshon, the prince of Yehuda, who brought his korban on Rosh Chodesh Nisan, and then the Torah could have listed the Nisim and said, these are the other eleven, and each brought the identical offering that the other brought. The Torah does not do that. The Torah enumerates and gives us uh, each one his separate paragraph, each one their separate space. The question is why? So I'd like to share with you the beautiful idea of the Chofetz Chaim in his commentary on the Torah and on the verse in chapter 7, verse 18, whereby we have on the second day Nisanel ben Tsuar, who was the prince of the tribe of Yesachar, he brought his karban. And the idea as to why his name was Nisanel, coming from the word Nosan, he is the one that gave the Eitzah that gave the advice to the other princes, he followed number one. He could have very well outdone Nachshan, and he could have showed off and said, take a look, I see what my colleague brought yesterday, but I am outdoing him. No, just the opposite. He said that we should all bring the identical korban, one not more than the other, that there shouldn't be any kind of jealousy among them, in contrast to, unfortunately, what we find with the very first two brothers, Cain and Hevel, that, unfortunately, as a result of jealousy, the world was, unfortunately, their world was on the way to destruction, one brother kills another, etc. Here, when they all decided to accept the suggestion of Nisanel ben Suar, this provided Hashem with great nachas ruach, great satisfaction, until Hashem responds to them by saying the following, You acted accordingly, that you should be each one, beloved one to another, and there should not be jealousy among another. So God said, I too want to be included in your midst. How so? And I will give you my Shabbos. Now what does that mean? We know that every Shabbos in the Mishkan and in the Beis Hamikdash, there were 
korbanos offered. What does that mean? The same Torah that says, Mechaleleha, most you must, that if one violates Shabbos, they are subject with warnings, etc., to capital punishment. Rashi brings this idea on the verse that we read on the first day of Shavuos in the Ten Commandments. Zohar Esyom HaShabbos Lekadsho. So Rashi says that Zohar and Shomor were said simultaneously by God. And therefore, Rashi goes on to say, take a look. The same Torah that says you're not to violate Shabbos, the same Torah says, but in the Beis HaMikdash, in the Mishkan, not only did they bring the Korban Tamid, the daily offering in the morning and in the afternoon, but as we recite in our Musaf Shmona Esrei, they brought the Korban Musaf, which was a communal Korban, one Korban on behalf of the entire nation. Good. No individual brought a Korban on Shabbos. Shabbos was not a day for an individual Korban. So if a person happened to have had a wonderful recovery happen to them or any other of the factors that might go in to bring a person to recite what we have today, Birkas HaGomel, the Korban Toda, a Thanksgiving offering, you could not bring your personal Thanksgiving offering on Shabbos. Even the Korban Pesach is a hybrid. No individual brought his own Korban Pesach, rather individuals, but the entire nation had to be part of it. And so it's certainly not considered a communalist offering, which is brought one for the entire nation, like the Korban Omer and Shteyalechem, but it was neither a personal offering that each one brought their own. However, the one exception to the rule was regarding the Nisim, regarding the princes, that each one of the Nisim brought their own personal korban on behalf of their tribe, but it was their personal korban. So now, when the Torah tells us that on the seventh day um, of the bringing of the various korbanos, Bayom Hashvi'i, Nasi Livnei Ephraim, on the seventh day, it was the Nasi of the tribe of Ephraim. The rabbis tell us this seventh day was Shabbos. And that in of itself, interestingly, the rabbis say was number one, a reward for Yosef, who kept Shabbos in Mitzrayim. But specifically here, the Chavetz Chaim brings the Medrash to teach us that HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, I am so pleased, enamored with what you have done, the unity that you have brought among the Nisim, that I want you to include me. And how are you to include me? I am giving you my Shabbos. And so that they didn't skip, they brought Thursday, Friday, and perhaps continued on Sunday. No, they brought on Shabbos as well, even though this was a Karban Yochid, a, um, an exception to the rule. As we find in the Medrash, that the seventh day was, as I pointed out, on Shabbos. 
And as a result of this unity, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave each one of their, uh, of the Nesim, their own honorable mention. Two points I'd like to um, draw from this. The first one is in the name of the Saba Mikelm, Reb Simcha Zisel, and he points out something very interesting, and he says as follows, that we might be have a tendency to look upon a klal that when a Kurdish when a mitzvah is brought by many people, so we would think that upstairs in Shemayim, that's the way it's looked upon, that the community brought a particular mitzvah, participated. The answer is no, that upstairs in Shemayim, they are concerned about each individual within the cloud, and they're exceedingly happy regarding each one as if that one was the only one. And he goes on to compare it to the following. He says that if a parent has but one child, then all their love is directed towards that one child. However, if they have many children, then that love is shared with each of the many children. However, not so regarding HaKadosh Baruch Hu. God's love is infinite, and He has the same amount of love for each individual, and clearly, from our perspective, not taking away anything from anybody else. And so, over here, the fact that the Torah enumerates each of the princes and gives that paragraph, an honorable mention, not just by name, but by enumerating their korban, the Torah is teaching us this idea of the importance of each and every individual. But secondly, I'd like to go back to what the Chafetz Chaim quoted that God said, include me among you, I am so proud of what you've done, and I am going to give you my Shabbos. What does Shabbos have to do with the unity among the um, uh, Shavuotim, among the tribes, and among the princes? So I'd like to remind everybody and share with you the concept that Shabbos is the symbol of oneness in this world. And I'd like to focus my attention for a moment on the prayer that the Sfardim recite every Friday night before Baruchu, in contrast to that which the Ashkenazim recite at that time. The Ashkenazim recite several Mishnayas from the second chapter of Shabbos, Mishnayos would deal with the lighting of Shabbos candles. And in the Sephardic community, they recite paragraphs 
from the Zohar. The Zohar happens to be in Truma 134a. And this is known as Kigavna, which means literally just as they. Now, what is the they? And by the way, this is in Aramaic. And I happen to have in front of me, to make things a lot easier, the uh, um, translation of the R scroll Sephardic Siddur. And I'm just going to read to you a little bit regarding Kigavna, but you will get the tone of what um, I am trying to communicate with you now. And the passage from the Zohar reads as follows, Just as they, meaning all six spheros or emanations, unite above in oneness without the attachment of evil, so she, the sphere of kingship, unites below in the secret of oneness, so that it may join those above, the oneness below, paralleling the oneness above. The Holy One, blessed be He, who is one above, does not sit on His royal throne of glory until kingship below is made over in the secret of oneness like His, until there's oneness down here, that they may be a one parallel to a oneness. Thus, we have set forth the secret of Hashem. Above is one, and His name is one. Now here goes. The seek, this is the secret of the Shabbos. Raza de Shabbos. Ihi Shabbos. Okay? She, the kingship, is called Shabbos. De Ischadas when she becomes united in the secret of oneness so that God's oneness may rest upon her. Okay, now, I don't profess to be old enough yet to study the Zohar, but I am going to suggest one thing, that this we find in something uh, in the Nefesh HaChayim, so we can go from one uh, source to another more grounded in at least the uh, um, Litvish community, and that is as follows. When God says, Adam, let us make man, he means let us take from all the creatures, from all the beings that have been created prior to man, and each had their own particular characteristic. So the world is so diverse in terms of character in terms of potential. Each being is different. And God said, Na'ase Adam, let us take a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of everything into man. And man has a composite of, you know, the entire creation. Okay? Think about it. Everything that was created in this world is there to give man the potential of what God commanded him on day six, pru urvu, multiply, milu esa'aretz, fill, procreate, fill the land, vichiv shua, dominate it. Okay, all different kinds of dominations in every which way over the years, over the centuries, and from day to day, more and more technological advancements. But comes Shabbos, my friends, when we cease our um, involvement in Sheshes Yomim 
to avod v'yosisa, and you are to do komalach techa. So six days of the week we are doing in all diverse ways, and Shabbos, from the word shava to return, it returns to the ultimate oneness that all of the individual aspects of the world, which have been um, basically enhanced, perfected throughout the work week, it all ceases and comes together in an ultimate oneness, which is Shabbos. And therefore, as the Nesim come together in their oneness, Hashem says, Include me, include my Shabbos, because Shabbos is that incredible sense of oneness. Shabbos is that time that we can take that step back and look and say, wow, look at this incredible world that Hashem has created you know, for us. And so, ultimately and finally, we ought to remember that each, as they respected one another, each individual is a world unto himself. And we pray that there is going to be complete and total peace in Eretz Yisrael. And we mourn for each and every one of the Chayolim that Lo'aleinu wounded, Lo'aleinu or killed in uh, these recent days. The idea being that we, our oneness down here, suffers, we miss their potential, and that's what we have to work all the harder to fulfill the void that they bring. But ultimately, every year, when we read of the Nesim, each one marked individually should remind each and every one of us how important we are of the great potential that we have and the privilege we have once again to partake in a Shabbos representing the ultimate, ultimate oneness of this world. Shabbat Shalom to all. Yerushalayim
Producer who worked so very hard, always works hard. Mr. Yochi Christman, thank you very much for Dava. Yeah, I don't know if there's a more important message for all of us, especially those of us in the diaspora. If you don't know what the words mean, ask your rabbi. And then ask your rabbi why it's so important, um, why those words are so important these days. 
the answer you get may depend on who the rabbi is, frankly, but uh, hopefully they'll give you a positive perspective on being a member of the diaspora uh, who must at all times long for Jerusalem. Friday morning, JM and the AM on this Arab Shabbos Parshas Nusso, candlelighting 752 in New York. Coast to coast pro Israel rallies. Go to um, go to. Do we have the site here? I think it's standwithus.org, right? I believe so. Um, in New York, this Sunday, seven World Trade Centers starting at 11 a.m. Um, 3 p.m. in Great Neck. Grace Avenue Park, 3 p.m. in Rochester at the Woke JCC. And the cities around the country, you mentioned Livingston, New Jersey. Everyone uh, near Livingston and in Livingston, please be at the Suburban Torah at 11.15 this coming Sunday morning. Um, the, the situation in the United States for the Jewish community, it's obvious, it's obvious, has the potential to get completely out of hand. Completely out of hand. Uh, If they're not reined in now with a um, major effort, both on the governmental level, speaking with our government officials and our police departments, and on a grassroots level, taking to the streets, making our voices heard, uh, then we could look back at this era with tremendous sadness. So let's do what we can. Take to the streets, speak with your public officials, and if you just do those two things, if you just look out for opportunities to make our voices heard and and act upon it, those are pretty significant. Those are pretty significant. Uh, But what's going on now in the major cities of this country where random attacks on Jews are acceptable. And I know that in Europe they've been acceptable for a long time and other cities around the world. But once they start with New York and Los Angeles, Miami, uh, then you know it's a completely different story. There is a complete disregard for letting anybody live in peace, certainly for for letting Jews and, and lovers of Israel live in peace. So please, do what you can. Take to the streets. Do what you can. Take this very seriously. It's an important calling. When Iran threatened us, meaning Israel, we took to the streets and uh, let Washington know that this was unacceptable and we won't stand for it. We need to do the same thing now on every level, local and national. Unacceptable. Simple as that. Unacceptable. And we will not stand for it. And uh, we will fight back if necessary. That has to be the message. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Monday, we're back. Before we get to Monday, I remind you that uh, at 10 o'clock this morning, Kedem presents the Erev Shabbos show with the Mark Zamek. 1 p.m. for our Erev Shabbos music mix brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Final hour will start around... Um, around 6.45 in that area. Um, all brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Tomorrow night, Saturday night, single with Avrami. Matis has JM Sunday this coming Sunday, starting at um, 7 a.m. Eastern time. 
And Monday morning, we're back here at JMNAM. There are a lot of opportunities. In synagogues this Shabbos, rabbinic leaders have an opportunity to, to warn people and inspire people. Do it. In, um, in other areas of Jewish life, Sunday is a key day, an important day to take to the streets, make our voices heard. You don't have to, you don't have to spend the whole Sunday doing that. You don't have to. Spend an hour doing it. Then spend a few minutes uh, writing by email or contacting through a website or calling on the telephone your local officials and your state officials to let them know how you feel about what's happening. That's it. And then come back to us Monday morning and we'll, we'll guide you from there. Time to say good Shabbos. It's Journeys. It's JM in the AM.
Cause all your work is done Gonna spend the day together with the Holy One Say a special blessing on a cup that's filled with wine Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners, sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSingle.com and the NachumSingle Network. And of course, on the beloved NSN app. Well, this photo is circulating of Yosef Ben Yafaliba. Yosef Ben Yafaliba, who was attacked yesterday in Manhattan. A random attack on Jews or in this case on a Jew, for wearing a yarmulke. That's how he was identifiably Jewish. He's now in the hospital. He is conscious, thank God, but he needs our prayers. Yosef ben Yafa Liba. Yosef ben Yafa Liba. And as one of the tweeters said, um, this young man from Lawrence, New York, beaten in Manhattan for being a Jew. These protests are an excuse to beat Jews and must be stopped immediately. Well said. Let's say it a million more times. At the minimum. Uh, Have a a wonderful Shabbos. Great weekend, everybody. Monday morning, I'm back. Plenty of great weekend programming. Stay tuned. Do not touch that dial. There's no need. We are your Erev Shabbos soundtrack. Have a fabulous Shabbos. Wonderful weekend till Monday. Now, Homestigal reminding you, remember to pass, live the present, and trust the future.